Good evening, everyone. I'm glad to see all your smiling faces on a beautiful evening. Um, you guys ready to do some work? Yeah. All right, let's pray before we get started. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you, Lord. Um, thank you for marriage. Thank you for the blessing that it is, Father, that we get to do life um, with our best friend. Lord, I ask that you would be with us this evening. Father, would you give us uh, wisdom? Father, I ask for learning to take place. Lord, I ask for um, just light bulb moments. Father, that we would be able to um, take what we learn and implement um, and grow and learn. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we want to start with uh, a quick icebreaker. Okay. So at your tables, if you would, go around, say your names, and share one Christmas tradition that you have implemented in your family or you want to implement. Go. Okay, everyone. I love the conversation already. Um, so let's bring it back. Um, so from last month, we talked a lot about trust and trust builders and trust breakers. Okay, we talked a lot about um, doing love maps. Um, we had some homework on, uh, there were some intentional questions that we gave you guys as homeworks. There, there was also uh, the Gottman deck that you guys could have gone through. Um, so for those of you that have done some of that, would love to hear just some responses in how did that go for you? Um, yeah. There's extra credit for those that answer. We downloaded the app, and we've got a lot of great conversations going from it. Um, we did go through the sex questions, too, which were really good. Um, some of them, yeah, yeah. We did see the ones that you were talking about that were no-goes. But, yeah, um, it just created a lot of great conversation, a lot of great connectedness, a lot of great growth in that that nearness bonding. Um, so, yeah, it was really good. Good. One more. Who else? Yeah, so from the Love Maps homework or, the like, the intentional questions or the Gottman deck, for those of you that spent some time going through some of those, how was that for you as a couple? Mitchell. Yeah, for us, we we focused a little bit on the roadmaps, and <clears throat> it's not as much as doing the exercise, but also developing that common ground, that common language that we can refer to. It's like, hey, we talked about this, or hey, this is one of those things that helps us to build trust, and I feel like we need to improve in this area, or like this made me feel like I don't really know, I'm not sure in this situation, and so just having that language as a foundation, and then as life happens, like, oh, like this, these two things merge and apply, so it was just really helpful to have it as a tool, as well as going through the exercise. Yeah, that's good, thank you. Um, how much, of, how many of us, by raise of hands, would say that we have grown in trust with our spouse over the last month? Okay, good. Um, so Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen says, whoever conceals a transgression will not prosper. He who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Okay. And why do I bring that up? We all make mistakes. 
We all screw up. And when we conceal them, it does not go well for us. When we repent, okay, we can obtain mercy. Okay, so having that clear communication, uh, that, commu- con- that clear line of communication is really important in marriage. Okay, um, so tonight we want to talk about communication. Um, how many of us, maybe, how many of us in our marriage in the last week have had issues with being on the same page with communication? All right, so that's all in of the us. last day. How about in the last day? Or how about on your way here? We did. Okay. Uh, we were actually preparing for this, and it was a struggle. It was like an hour ago. What is I, going on? My mic's on. Nick, can you turn Jill's mic on? I actually looked at Austin and was like, why is this so hard for us right now? Like, well, because we're not communicating well, and here we go, teaching communication. It is yeah, warfare, warfare, right? We, we don't yeah, have yeah. all the answers, okay? We don't do everything that. perfectly, um, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of stuff that we can go through tonight and tips that are going to help, okay? Um, before we get too far into this, okay, we want to look back at how our upbringing shapes our communication, okay? This isn't to say you are your upbringing, but we are all shaped and molded by our parents, by our circumstances, by the things that have happened to us, okay? Um, So that, again, that's not to say there isn't any hope, but we also want to look at the role that we played in our family of origin and how that affects our communication. All right, so um, can I get two volunteers really quick? Maybe some taller people, because I'm just going to have you hold something. Mark and Keller, great. Can you guys hold these tapestries up so that people can see them? I didn't find a great place to hang them. Um, So these are tapestries. They are woven with yarn. Don't look too close at the back because it's messy. Um, But I want you to think about these are these hang in my children's rooms. Um, That one is for Bennett. This one is for Elena, if anyone cares. Um, So they are woven. And I want you to think about these tapestries kind of as a representation of our life. Um, So we know from scripture that God says he has woven us together in our mother's wombs. And so I want you to think about these things as like your personality, your color of hair. You know, there are all these like different pieces to it that are all woven together. And I think they're beautiful, but they're also imperfect. Um, God's a perfect creator, but we are imperfect. Um, And so I want you to think about the tapestry as like, what makes you tick and what makes you passionate and you have all these different pieces that are like woven into your fabric Um, and just like austin said our families of origin shape that Um, our like natural dna is part of that Um, but when you take two tapestries and you try to put them together can you guys try to like make them into one like it doesn't really work you can't connect them unless there is some level of unraveling of the yarns to weave them both together So that's our goal for tonight is to kind of unravel some of the things that maybe were were part of our childhood or part of our patterns that we don't want to bring into marriage. And then to hold on to the things that are like our authentic self. If you were in service this morning, Paul said something like, 
your anointed self is your authentic self. And so this isn't a, a way of like we want to come out of how God's designed us to be, but rather how do we shed the things that aren't really what God wants us to be and how do we hold on to the things and bring them into marriage that are our authentic self that God wants to have glory through. So thank you, men. I appreciate your help. Vanna White's. Thank you. Um, so without doing the hard work of noticing the patterns that have kind of been put on us or that we've absorbed, we will just repeat the patterns that we were taught um, if we don't do the work of unraveling them and unlearning them. So I want to be clear that not all of the patterns that we bring from our family of origins are bad. Um, you'll probably hear us say this a lot, or if you ever serve on a mission trip with us, you'll definitely hear us say it. Things are not Some things are not necessarily bad or good. They're just different, okay? So some differences are bad, and some differences are good, but some things are just differences. So a classic example might be like how you load the dishwasher. You might think that you do it right and that your spouse does it wrong, but the truth is, it's just different. Like, that is not a moral issue, right? So good, bad, different is going to be important for us. But again, we're wanting to unravel and pay attention to those patterns of our past that have shaped us. Um, so last time we talked about the sound marital house. Um, if you weren't here, I gave you a handout. Um, I'm just going to touch that really quick. Actually, I missed a couple of people, didn't I? Um, so basically, the sound marital house comes from John Gottman, and his big theory is that trust and commitment are the pillars that uphold the sound marital house. And then the bottom three, the um, building love maps, the, let me see it, Kelly, thank you. Um, building love maps, how does he word it? Turning towards instead of away and sharing fondness and admiration are all the foundations of friendship. So we spent a lot of time there last last month, um, but I want you to think about the positive sentiment override. I think he writes it differently. The positive perspective. So as we understand our, our spouse's communication patterns and take a look at our own, it allows us to, first of all, have that insight to change those patterns, but it also gives us some of that positive sentiment override. So that's like the believing the best in your spouse. So like if I know that... Um, that Austin communicates the way, so for example, he, he can be a peacemaker, he is a peacemaker, but he particularly can be a peacemaker when he is in his family of origin, where he kind of plays this mediator role um, between parents and siblings. And if I know that about him, and then I'm frustrated when I feel like he's trying to appease me instead of resolve a conflict, like, I begin to have some grace and some, like, level of, like, oh, this is a role that you played in your family of origin. No wonder you're bringing it into the marriage. And then we can talk about it, and we can change it or modify it. Um, so, again, understanding why our spouse communicates the way that they do can help us with that believing the best and, like, understanding. And, again, that doesn't necessarily mean that we hold on to it, but you can't, you can't even change it if you don't identify it. Thank you for your patience. Um, okay, so we are going to shift a little bit. Um, we are going to start talking about birth order. Um, so again, this is still in line with in our families of origin. How many of you, just by a show of hands, are familiar with the, the idea that your birth order impacts your personality? 
Yeah, a lot of us, right? So we're going to take a, a deeper dive into that. Um, so these are tendencies. They're not necessarily always true. Um, but where you were born in your line of siblings often shapes us. And there are some stereotypes, and stereotypes are there for a reason. Uh, <laughs> what's that? Yes, yes. Um, so, again, it, it does tend to follow a pattern, but there are some things, I'll identify a few of them, that, 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 um, that make the stereotype less true. So some of those things would be large age gaps. So I think it's like bigger than four years between siblings. That, that shifts some of the dynamics of birth order. Um, Adoption, neglect, uh, mental or physical illness in the family of origin. Um, those are just a few of the things that might make it different. Um, but the point of this is not necessarily like, I'm a firstborn and the traits match that I'm a firstborn. The point is we want ha to have a launching pad. Can you put those up there? Um, we want to have a launching pad of how our self-understanding can impact our marriage. Can you go to that first slide? So firstborns on the left tend to be responsible, motivated, conscientious, controlling, cautious, reliable, perfectionist, achiever, leader, bossy. So let me tell you, we have three kids, and our kids fit the stereotypes, okay? Our Sela is four, and she already, we are working with how to let down some of those perfectionistic tendencies. Ren was her teacher this morning. He was like, man, she's so smart. I'm like, yeah, but... Don't tell her that right now, please. Like, she has all the right answers. She performs well. Um, and that's going to be part of God's gift in her life, but some of it, good, bad, different. Some of it's good, some of it's bad, some of it's just different. Middleborns um, tend to feel left out. They can be a peacemaker. They're social, adaptable, people pleaser. They can be rebellious, independent, and they're that, like, go-between. Let me back up to firstborns really quick. Interesting fact, of the first 23 NASA astronauts, how many do you think were firstborns? Your guess is 23? Close. Firstborns, the, of the first 23 NASA astronauts, 21 of them were firstborns, and the other two were only children, which is still a firstborn. Like, it's wild. So middleborns tend to be that left. They tend to feel left out. They can be peacemaker. Um, but guess what? They're also competitive. And if you are going to recruit for an athletic team, do you want a firstborn? Nope. You do not want a firstborn for the most part. So people like Michael Jordan, the Williams sisters, the like not the firstborn, whether it's a second, third, fourth, however it goes, um, because of that competitive nature and that, like, trying to live up to the older sibling, they are great athletes. Femi, you're an exception. <laughs> He's just a beast. Um, <laughs> um, Lastborns um, tend to be uncomplicated, manipulative. They seek attention. They can be self-centered. They're fun, social, charming, outgoing. Um, I heard one podcast say that most comedians are lastborns. I did not find the facts to back that up, but it, again, our kids are fitting a stereotype, and our Elena girl is the humor. So um, if you are an only child, you would tend to seek approval. You've been only really around other adults rather than 
kids for the most part. And so there's a sensitivity, a leadership quality, confidence, being the center of attention. You're used to that. You're mature for your age, conscientious, responsible, and perfectionistic. One thing I would add to the middleborns with the left out piece of it um, is that they can tend to lose their voice as well. Um, so we're working hard at this to give our middle child um, a voice. Um, but for the most part, these are the stereotypes for a reason. You can, you can do a deep dive into these, but I'll spare you that. So um, Nick, could you get that next slide up for us? Take a look at this. All right, let's clean up. Already? It's a mess. Let's do it later. I won't be able to think about anything else until we clean. Hey, I'll take care of it. You will? Like now? Like now-ish? You'll let these sit for hours. These plates are going to get crusty. You know, you worry too much. You worry too little. I got it all taken care That's of. That's what you said last night. And it's fine. I'll do it at some point. Tonight or tomorrow. Depends how I feel. How you feel? You are beautiful. Stop. Let's watch a movie. No. You make popcorn? What? Actually, I'll make popcorn. You barely use any butter. I'm going to do the dishes. Oh, look, a squirrel. Why are you the way that you are? And we have one more for you, too. That was middle and older. What should we do tonight? We? Yeah, both of us, together. Uh, I have plans. With who? Myself. Huh? I'm reading all night by myself. What's reading? Reading words in a book. You should try it. Sounds lame. But I can sit next to you and watch YouTube videos at an absurd volume. Yeah, that's not going to work. OK, well, maybe I'll make dinner. I already ate. You ate dinner? Without me? I was hungry. Ugh. Oh. Do we have company? It's a delivery. I got some early Christmas presents. Oh, nice. For who? For myself. Ah. Maybe next time. <laughs> what should we do? All right. Thanks, Nick. Could you put that um, image of the the words back on? Yep, perfect. All right. So take a few minutes, and as couples, I want you to discuss what traits you identify with and how these traits play out in your marriage. All right, so a couple other examples of how birth order might um, impact your marriage, just to keep those memories jogging, or to jog your mind, however, whatever, jog your memory. Um, I heard some great discussions, but a firstborn uh, might have that tendency to um, have too high of standards, to have difficulty offering grace to your spouse, to yourself, to your kids. I am not a firstborn by like birth, but I am a firstborn tendencies, and um, I've had to let go of control and let go of the right way to do something because there are different ways to do things. Um, if a middle child is in a relationship, they might have difficulty speaking up. They might feel like they've lost their voice from their childhood, and so they don't feel like it's safe to speak up and share their opinions or have a difference of opinions. And it's not necessarily that the spouse made them feel unsafe. It's just some a trait that they have learned over time. And sometimes a middle child who has lost their voice then may also have some resentment that their voice is not represented in the marriage um, because they do have wants and desires and needs, but they, aren't, they don't feel safe to express them. A youngest child or last born uh, might use comedy as a way to try to diffuse an argument 
And in some cases, that might be good. But if they're married to some people, they might feel like you're not taking this seriously. Or like the, like, um, yeah, like, like you're not really in this and you don't think it's important. You're kind of minimizing things because you're just making a joke of it. An only child, I feel like that second Instagram reel really um, just exemplified it. But an only child might have difficulty relying on their spouse in a meaningful way. And so we are called into oneness in our marriage. And we are not called to just live our lives separately under the same house. And so an only child might have difficulty like letting down or knowing how to invite that oneness from their spouse. Um, So those are just a few examples of birth order. And this doesn't even factor in things like your own family culture and what was important to mom and dad and how their values were passed down to you, how their values were not passed down to you. It doesn't include any attachment type issues. Um, I don't want to get into the weeds on this, but um, just suffice it to say attachment is like the whole counseling world that is related to the bond that you created with your primary caregiver. So if that was your mom and dad that raised you, or if you were raised by a grandparent or um, adopted, it's that attachment is referring to a bond that was created between you and your primary caregivers at a very young age, the first couple years of marriage. And so, I'm sorry, first couple years of life. Thank you. Again, I don't want to get into the weeds on it, but I do want to mention that if you feel like there are certain relationship patterns that seem to have followed you all of your life or things that seem like hard to break, I'd encourage you to dig into your attachment history and possibly work with a counselor on maybe why relationships are difficult for you. It could be related to the way that you were or were not cared for as a very young baby before you might even have memories. All right, like I said, I'm not sure I understand either. Um, So birth order doesn't factor in the family values, but we are going to jump into some of those family values. So, Nick, if you could put up that slide that's after the Instagram reels. Um, We are going to discuss, so just with your spouse, um, we are going to discuss four different topics. The first one will be, what else did you learn from your upbringing about how to handle, and this first one is going to be money. So we'll give you a few minutes with your spouse. What did you learn about money from your upbringing? So it's like, just as an example, you don't talk about money, or we never have enough. Cut corners where you need to. So I'm going to set you loose with your spouse. What did you learn from your upbringing about how to handle money? Can you throw the next one up there? Once you're done talking about money, you can leave the music on. It's just going to be a quick. Um, Once you're done talking about money, what else did you learn about emotions? Can you put the next one up, Nick? You can leave the music on. So once you're done talking about emotions, what did you learn about how to handle conflict? All right, the last one we're going to throw up there is what did you learn from your upbringing about how to handle free time? Okay. If you guys did not get a chance to finish, um, please come back to this. Uh, There's a lot more as well that you could add to this about upbringing and how you were raised and how it Uh, plays into your life and your marriage and your relationships today. Um, 
So communication. Communication is the exchange of information for accurate understanding of content. There's an imparting or exchange of information. It can include speech, understanding, and heart posture. Okay? One of the things we asked you to do last time was to look at the Proverbs and look and see what types of communication principles are expressed there. Okay? Um, I realize thinking back on all 31 chapters is kind of tough. Okay? But what do you remember from reading Proverbs and looking at the communication principles in Proverbs? Ben? Slow to speak, quick to listen? Yeah, Gia? The book of Proverbs to me is like a teaching tool. Uh, it teaches you what to do, what not to do. Um, when it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not to your own understanding, but in all ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. They're almost like analogies and then answers. It's almost like a question and an answer. What can I do good, what not to do? That's just how I see Proverbs. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Yeah. Guard your mouth, keep yourself out of trouble. A fool is only known when he opens his mouth. Ouch. Yeah. As a wife with your own hands, you can build your own house or you can tear it down. Yeah. Just to piggyback that, as wives, we can be quarrelsome. And Proverbs talks about how that is like an annoying drip on the rooftop. So just piggybacking on what Allie said, not only can we build up or tear down with our words, but we can be quarrelsome, and that is annoying. Quarrelsome could also be nagging, right? That would play a part of that. Um, Proverbs, I'm just going to go through some Proverbs here. Proverbs 1.5, there's wisdom to hear and obtain understanding. Proverbs 4 talks a lot about listening listening to get wisdom and to get insight. Proverbs 4.24, put away devious, crooked speech. Verse 26 and 27 say, ponder your path and don't swerve from it. Proverbs 6 talks about, it warns against sowing discord. It says your mouth putting you into a snare, crooked speech and a lying tongue. Uh, Proverbs 10 um, talks about the babbling fool will come to ruin. Proverbs 10:11, the mouth of righteous is a fountain of life. The mouth of the wicked conceals violence. 10:17 says it talks about heeding instruction, listening to instruction. It leads to the path of life. Rejecting reproof leads others astray. Um, 1019, many words, many transgressions, but restraining lips is prudent. Proverbs 1020, the tongue of the righteous is like choice silver. 1032, the mouth of righteous bring wisdom, 
and a perverse tongue will be cut off. Proverbs 11, 11, the mouth of the wicked overthrows cities. 11, 12, those who belittle lack sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. 11, 13, trustworthy people don't share or reveal what they shouldn't. Chapter 12 talks about lying lips. God hates it. Fools proclaim folly. A prudent man conceals knowledge. Chapter 13, a wise son hears his father's instruction. Scoffers don't listen, and they rebel. Proverbs 13, 3, guarding your mouth will preserve your life. He who opens his lips will come to ruin. 13, 18 says, poverty and disgrace will come upon him who ignores instruction. 15.4, a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness, perverseness breaks the spirit. 18.2, fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. 25.15 says, with patience, you can persuade. A soft tongue can break a bone. 25.18, false witness is like a weapon. Proverbs 25.20 talks about singing songs to a heavy heart is not helpful. 25.24 says, don't be a quarrelsome wife. 26, um, 17 through 19 talks about Warning against meddling. And after deceiving, saying, oh, I'm just kidding. 26, verses 17 and 19. Okay. Um, there's a, a saying in Spanish. Some of you have heard me say it. Entre broma y broma, la verdad se asoma. And it means from joke to joke, the truth rises to the surface. Right? So when we say something, I'm just joking. No, there's truth in that. Um, 27.5 says, better is an open rebuke than hidden love. 28.13, whoever, and we said this earlier, whoever conceals transgressions will not prosper. He who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy, right? And Proverbs 29.11, a fool gives full vent to his spirit. A wise man holds back. So, there's a lot that the proverb says about communication, about listening, about our tongue. We have to be so careful. How many of you know, I mean, how many of you have experienced, you say something and right away you're like, why did that come out? That was super biting. That was super powerful. That was really nasty. I wish I could pull that back in. Right? We have to watch our tongue. So, thinking about communication principles, what communication principles keeps your marriage strong? And Jill's going to write them up here on the board. Honesty, self-disclosure, what else? Patience, frequency, 
So do it. Engage in communication. Good. Tone and body language. Humility. What was that? Self-control. What do you mean by that? Yeah. Sometimes you shouldn't respond, and then other times you should. Yeah. Yeah, when you do respond, respond rightly, even though sometimes your flesh doesn't want you to. It's good. Considering the other person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Put your feet in their shoes. How are they going to receive this? It's good. Being in prayer regarding the conversation that needs to happen. Being attentive to what's being said. Listening before speaking and not listening to speak. Can you give me a little bit more there? I like that. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. Listening to actually listen and let it sink in, not listening to respond with how you want to respond. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Not listening to, okay, are you done yet? Now it's my turn. Right? How many of us, when we're in conversation, um, are we just thinking about ourselves and what we want to say? Too often. Yeah. 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 I do, I do that, right? That's good. So so you're listening, and when, when your spouse stops, you say, what I'm hearing you saying is this, and you repeat it, right? Those are, those are called. So those are reflective statements. And it, and it when you say that those reflective statements you're letting your know you're letting your spouse know hey I heard you or if you if you didn't if you missed it they can say actually no I meant it like this right that's really good laying down your need to be right yeah so cr- that's good some of what I think you might be describing is what I would call drawing out skills where, like, as the listener, we're, like, giving some feedback that invites more sharing. And we're going to get to some of those tonight at the end. Willingness? What do you mean by willingness? Yeah. Be, okay. Be willing to have the conversation, putting down what you're doing, oftentimes the phone, to have the conversation. Yeah. Vulnerability and understanding. Yeah. Yeah, if we're not vulnerable in our communication, we're just spewing facts. Say that again. Like the right time and the right place. Okay, so understanding that some conversations need to happen in certain scenarios and others are fine to happen in public. Okay, so having positive regard in communication. Yeah, so like your spouse says something or someone says something and it comes off wrong, but trusting the relationship and trusting who they are to say, I don't know that you meant it exactly how you said it, Giving the benefit of the doubt. It's good. Yeah, creating a safe atmosphere is important. These are all really good things. Really good things. And when we are operating in good in good communication, when we're when we're when we're trusting our spouse, we can do these things. Um, so last time we talked about attentive body language, it was kind of a side note, but we talked about how women tend to connect face to face and men tend to connect shoulder to shoulder. And so 
harking back to good, bad, different. There's not a right way and a wrong way. But if you are a woman, chances are you feel most connected if your spouse is looking you in the eyes. If you are a man, chances are you feel more connected through shared activity. And so um, I think when we talk about, yeah, love languages are a piece of it too. You can go back to last month if you missed that. Um, but a couple of things I just want to add that I that didn't get up here would be avoiding always and never statements. I think self-awareness is a big piece that helps us to become better communicators. I think it lends itself to the self-control. I think Brian was the one that mentioned self-control, that if we're aware kind of of our triggers and our tendencies um, and using that compassionate piece of considering the other person, um, it, that all requires self-awareness. And um, just a note on developing self-awareness, it kind of got mentioned this morning in service, but um, if you need to develop self, well, let me say it this way, to develop your self-awareness, because we can all grow in it, um, ask for feedback from trusted, close people. Um, also, get curious about your strong emotions. So like when you feel anger, pay attention to what are those patterns? What's consistent from anger to anger to anger each time it comes up? Get curious about those strong emotions. Get curious about strong excitement and like what's the pattern there? Um, and then journaling thoughts and emotions can also help with self-awareness. Um, and then last thing, or no, two more things that I'll say about healthy communication would be um, assertiveness. So I feel like this can sometimes get, that word can have like a negative attention, like negative connotation with it. But what I want you to think about of assertiveness is assertiveness is the road between the ditches of passivity and aggression. So being able to communicate your wants, your needs, your perspective without being passive and without being aggressive. Yeah, that's good. So what inhibits good communication? I'm sorry? Not trusting or breaking trust? What was that? Assumptions? It's <laughs> a good one. Pride, defensiveness, the need to be right, putting yourself first, your needs, your distractions. What else? I'd say anger, violence, denial, blame shifting, insecurity, right? <laughs> yeah, so when... Oftentimes when you're insecure, you can project assumptions. You can assume what your spouse is thinking about you or mind reading. It's good. What was that? Yeah. Location or distance. Having the correct the, the correct means to the conversation. Yeah. Mark, what did you say? Being impatient. Yeah. Thinking about the next topic. Like, can we just move on and get on to the next thing? Rejecting the other person or the conversation. Dismiss, what was that, dismissiveness? What was that speaking death? In what way? Yeah, it's good. So, yeah, so the Bible says you're not defiled by what goes in, but what comes out. And so speaking that death. Yeah, 
contempt. What do you mean by contempt? So you're less patience, you're harsh with your spouse. Maybe, I think a lot of that, so what, I think what you're talking about is orphanhood and being the orphan of like, your spouse brings something up and you're like, well, it's my, I guess it's my fault and I just suck and I'm not good and I shouldn't, we should have never gotten married and I should just walk away and, and they're like, can you just put the milk away, right? Yeah, yep. So um, resentment, yeah. So yeah, uncertainty because of history. I think that's great. And I think um, to go back to that, um, and I guess the situation of talking in bed at night, okay? Um, my wife's name is Jill, but I oftentimes go to bed with Chatty Kathy. It's very true. And um, I go to bed and I am ready to sleep. I am ready to chat. And she is ready to chat. And turn, can you guys hear me? Yeah. Turn, turn, turns out our girl and our boy are just like us. Like, Sayla goes to bed, and she's recounting her day, and she is wants to chat. She has all the questions. What about this thing that we did today? Why was she wearing that? Why did she do this? What about, why did you say it that way? And Bennett is like, Mommy, don't kiss me. I'm going to bed. So just know, right? Have, have an understand. And this, this is between Jill and I. No. Yes. Gia, you had something real quick. So I think this. So I think this comes down to some of that, like the way that we're wired is not good or bad. It's just different. But then deciding, if we go back to the tapestry imagery, how do we? How do we yield to one another and find a solution that works for both of us? Next time we will specifically talk about conflict resolution. Um, and I think obviously like communication includes conflict and so there's gonna be some overlap. Um, but I do hear what you're saying that there are some like factors that play into it. And so this is, you know, if, if marriage is about becoming like Christ, that looks like laying our lives down and preferring our spouse. And there is this give and take. Sometimes Austin's like, okay, I'm going to turn the light back on, and I'm going to sit up in bed. Otherwise, I'm going to be sleeping on this important conversation. And there are other times that I'm going to say, you know what? I recognize this was not as good of a time as I originally thought, and we can, we can revisit this another time. Yeah, and just one more thing on that. So as we're talking about this, we're talking about the, the wife having the words at night and the men wanting man wanting to go to sleep. Um, we have a very good, we have some very good friends that are, it's a couple, and he is the chatty Kathy at night, and she wants to go to bed, okay? So it's, it's not, not always nice. that gender specific, okay? Um, just to add a few inhibitors. Okay, okay. Um, I can't tell if I'm on. Okay, okay. Um, so not using self-responsible statements can inhibit communication. What do I mean by this? This is when you, um, you tell someone how they think or feel. So like, or blaming or shooting on people. Um, I did this because you did that. Um, so that isn't self-responsible because you're not taking the ownership for how you reacted. Um, and so I just, I think that's an important, so, okay, hey, 
Um, okay, another frequent misstep that we see in communication has to do with what we call, we learned this from an interpersonal skills workshop, we are not this good, but heart level, head level. Um, so head level, could you get that slide up for me, Nick? Um, so head level communication is going to include facts, ideas, and thoughts. So appropriate responses to that are advice, solutions, and judgments. Heart level communication includes feelings, attitudes, and self-disclosures. And so appropriate responses to that are empathy, understanding, and affection, not solutions, not advice, right? So I feel like this can be a classic example sometimes that, um, again, we're using some gender stereotypes, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's always true. You've probably heard women complain, my husband wants to fix my problems and I just want him to listen. Okay, some of what's going on here is that she is sharing from her heart and there is a head level response to it. And so if we can get on the same page, we can have healthier communication. Um, another example from my own life, um, some of you know our story that we struggled with fertility for many, many years. Um, we endured fertility treatments while we lived in Guatemala and we had some very good friends um, who lived across the street from us and served with us. Um, and as we were in this process, let me just say, I do not wish fertility treatment on anyone. It is awful. It is invasive to your body, your social life, your calendar, your like wrestle with the Lord of you haven't promised me this, but I think that like we want kids. And just this whole like swirl. Um, I wouldn't wish it on anyone. And this friend of mine would check in on me after our fertility appointments, and she would say, like, what medicine did they give you? And how long was your appointment? And what's the diagnosis? Like, what's the, like, the plan of treatment? And these were all, like, fact. Like, she was fact-finding in her questions. She's a nurse, by the way. Um, so she, I'm sure, asked more, like, specific thing. I don't even remember exactly the wording. But she was on a fact-finding mission, but her desire was to care for me. And so I talked to her about this concept, and I, I just shared with her, you know, it feels like you're asking curious questions, and I need caring questions. And guess what? She's still one of my great friends, and we worked through it, and we have a great relationship. But the miss there was not like she's trying to be mean, and she doesn't know how to care for me, and or even like internal spiral of like what's wrong with me that she's like trying to care for me and I don't like it and I'm like have my guard up. But it's this head level, heart level idea. It didn't feel safe to really like go to the vulnerable places with her because her responses or her questions weren't what my heart needed. Again, we've resolved it and she's a dear friend of mine. So I want you to take several minutes with your spouse and discuss how are you doing joining each other on the same level. Again, there's not a right, wrong, or different, but how are you doing at join your, joining your spouse on the same level? Once you've talked about how you're doing in joining, go ahead and talk with your spouse about what makes it difficult to get on the same level. Okay, everybody. Um, 
with the heart level and head level, I'll just say one more thing. Um, this has been really helpful for Jill and I in our relationship. Um, oftentimes, my go-to is a head level, and her go-to is a heart level. She is a feeler, and I am not. Um, and oftentimes, I will be trying to fix the problem that really she just wants me to listen to. And she will say, I am an, on a heart level. You're on a head level. And I have to stop and say, I'm sorry. Give me a minute. Let me try and get there. Okay? So spouses and vice versa, right? And so so use this language, right? If you're frustrated, you're like, something's amiss here. Hold on. I'm on a heart level. Okay. I'm on a head level. She's on a heart level or vice versa. Say it, right? So you can get on the same level, okay? Um, often, oftentimes when we talk about communication, generally we talk about what we say. And we need to be very careful with the words that we say. But there's another part of communication that's very important, and that's listening, okay? Um, James 1.19 says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. If you love someone, you will listen to them, okay? So what qualities make up a good listener? We've talked about a lot of these things already. I'm just going to go through them one more time. So when, we're, when I'm listening well, I put the distractions aside. I express empathy. I don't interrupt. I don't jump to conclusions. I listen without having my own response in mind. I focus on where the speaker wants to go in a conversation, not necessarily where I want to take it, okay? Um, I'm in sales. I'm very good at taking a conversation where I want it to go. That's not good in marriage, okay? Um, sometimes it's helpful, but it's not where we need to go all the time, right? Um, what else makes a good listener? Eye contact and nonverbals to show that you're interested, okay? Um, before Jill mentioned the thing about how women like to communicate face-to-face -face and men shoulder-to-shoulder, -shoulder, I actually counted most of the men in here were facing their spouses. Great job. Okay, great job. Keep it up. Um, and that's not to say we always have to communicate this way, right? We, we also need to communicate shoulder-to-shoulder, -shoulder, but I literally saw you doing it before she even mentioned it. Okay, so great job. And some of you... It's just how you're sitting, so great, good job, <laughs> sitting the way that you're sitting. Um, not turning the topic to our to myself, okay, is big, and limiting your question asking. Oftentimes, um, when you're in conversation, it, you can think, okay, I want to ask a lot of questions to draw them out, but too many questions can feel like they're being interviewed. Okay, so there's a limit there. Um, Jill's going to hand out um, a piece of paper, okay, um, for everyone to do. Okay, use a pen, and if you would, fill this out. It's a questionnaire on how am I doing with listening with others, okay, and how am I doing listening with my spouse? No, no I missed that. So um, on the left column, if you notice on your handout, there are going to be two sets of dashes. So on the left dash, you want to self-assess. 
And on the right dash, you want to assess your spouse. There should have been six per table. I might have miscounted. Um, So left side, self-assess. How am I doing with listening? Right side, how is my spouse doing at listening? When you finish your assessment, go ahead and discuss with your spouse your responses and decide one or two listening skills that you want to work on. All right, we're gonna switch gears just a little bit. Um, before I move on, I wanna give a plug for the interpersonal, interpersonal skills workshop that Austin and I got to go to that um, several of these concepts came from. Um, so. Th- they, they don't even know we're doing this, but um, there is an organization called ITP, International Training Partners, and they do workshops all over the globe in like 23 different languages or something on sharpening your interpersonal skills. So um, they also offer online courses. Um, I feel like I'm making a commercial, but, um, but seriously, it, it transformed the way that we communicate with each other. It transformed the way that we care for people um, and it, yeah, it just it was really helpful for us um, as we worked in teams, as we had coworkers, as we related to one another as a spouse. So again, it is um, sharpening your interpersonal skills. So if some of this has interested you, interested you, and you want to grow more in your interpersonal skills, they are a fantastic resource. So the organization is called International Training Partners (ITP). And the workshops that they put on is Sharpening Your Interpersonal Skills, S-Y-I-S. Okay, so Proverbs 20, verse 5 says, The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. So earlier, Tori was was talking about something, if I captured it properly, that Austin and I would call drawing out skills. So that is when somebody has shared something with you and you know that there's more beneath the surface or you do want to be creating that, um, where was it, that like safe, encouraging atmosphere. There was something about safety up here as well. Um, So if you want to be that person that's inviting more sharing, um, I think the way that this handout assessed it was, I gently invite the person to share further, which emphasizes my care. Um, I'm going to give you several skills that you can use. Now, before I get to these four skills, I do want to say that all four of them have benefits and they also have risks, okay? So you have to have some discretion, um, but marriage is a great way to practice things because you can get feedback, hopefully, um, on how it's working or how it's not working. So, um, Nick, if you'll get that first one up there for me. Um, The first one is silence with full attention. So if somebody is sharing, especially someone who's an external processor, like myself, just giving me a space can often encourage me to share more. Now, again, There are benefits and risks. So sometimes silence can look like they're not paying attention. Do you hear me? Are you here? But giving that appropriate, like, nonverbal contact, nonverbal communication, the eye contact, attentiveness, in addition to the silence, can really help someone feel like I'm not 
being rushed, you're not ready to move on to your next thing, like just giving that person some silence can help invite them to further sharing. I think another way that you can pay, make sure the person, like make sure the other person knows you're still paying attention even when you're silent is saying, hmm, interesting. Yeah. And you just stop. Yeah, my counseling professor called them gentle encouragers. I think that's what he called them. Um, the second one is effective questions. So Austin described how questions are risky at times because you don't want to overload someone with questions. But some examples of effective questions are open questions versus closed. So a closed question is something that has like a yes or no answer to it. An open question is something that has a lot of answers to it. So this can be on a spectrum. So the closed, the most closed that you can be is yes or no. But, you know, you might say, like, what's your favorite book of the Bible? Well, there's a limited number of answers that that could be, but it's 66 of them. So that's more open. But then, like, what do you love about the Bible? It could be anything. So those are kind of, like, it can be on a spectrum. So open questions can be effective invitation questions so things like would you like to share more or would you like to like yeah would you like seems to be kind of how I use an invitation question um, are you are you still feeling good about sharing that's a closed question but it's an invitation question so there's some nuance there but using um, I wonder these are more statements so you might say something, if you've spent much time with me, you might hear me say something like, I wonder how that was for you. Or I wonder what that, I, I'm trying to think of another example. Um, I, yeah, I wonder what that was like for you. I wonder how you're doing since then. It's, it's a statement, but it's an invitation question, if you can hear that nuance. Um, I wonder how you got through that is another I wonder statement when you're sharing, when someone's sharing something painful. Um, again, questions, benefits, and risks. Um, yeah. The third one is self disclosure with the skill of getting the focus back on the one sharing. Okay, so earlier we said that you're not a good listener if you always turn the topic to yourself. But sometimes giving a self-disclosure about something that you experience that's similar um, or even how it might feel for you can be a helpful strategy to encourage a person that you are a safe place, that you are a, a, a man of understanding that can draw out. So um, a great one for me, um, my dad died when I was young. Um, he committed suicide. And so anytime that someone is sharing about suicide or about losing their dad at a young age, I often will use a self-disclosure statement and I'll say something like, my dad died when I was young too. How was that for you? So making the self-disclosure, but with this skill of like, that was really hard for me. How was it for you? So getting the, the topic back on them instead of just hijacking the conversation. And then the last one um, is an observation. So these are tentative statements that invite more sharing. So things like, 
you seem discouraged. It's not a question. It's a tentative statement. And tentative meaning you're not attributing an emotion to them that's not accurate. So we kind of hit on that earlier where you're not telling someone what they should feel. But you're saying you, you seem discouraged. You seem down about that, that type of observation. So there are just four skills that you can use in practice um, throughout this month. And we're going to practice now. So we're going to combine kind of the heart-level, head-level conversation with the drawing-out skills conversation. So pick one of the spouses to go first, and you're going to have about five minutes to be the sharer. Okay, so think if you want to share something head level or if you want to share something heart level. And then the other spouse is going to practice listening and drawing out with some of these skills. And then we'll switch. Okay, so we'll give you five minutes and practice what we preached. If you haven't already switched, you can go ahead and do that. I love seeing the intense eye contact and great listening skills, everybody. Good practice. Um, Hopefully that felt good for you as you were the sharer. Hopefully it felt encouraging to be listened to, to be heard and understood to be loved well. Um, so Austin said earlier that communication is about speech, understanding, and heart posture. And we just scratched the surface on some of those tonight. Speech, listening, the understanding piece, and that our heart and our attitude matters. And like I said, it is like marriage can be a really safe space for us to practice these skills and try them on and get feedback if we are humble and if we are teachable. Um, It's also the place that obviously our spouses get the worst version of us and the best version of us, hopefully. Um, So extend grace as we are building new pathway, new, um, like the tapestry example, like new patterns new communication skills, um, new ways of doing things. Um, As we wrap up tonight, um, we did just want to announce, we have been on the first Sunday of every month, but next month in January, we will be on the second Sunday, which is January 14th, and we will be discussing conflict resolution. Conflict conflict management might be a better way, because you know that there are actually some conflicts that are unresolvable. So we'll talk about conflict management next time. Um, And then, Nick, if you could get the homework up there. Um, It's in two slides. I will email this to you, especially because one of them is a link to an article. Um, But there are going to be two slides, and I'll just go over the homework really quick. Um, So first one, with your spouse's accountability, work on a listening skill and pay attention to that head level, heart level discussion. Are we doing it? How are we doing with it? Um, And practice that. The article... um, If you want to write something down right now, you can Google talking is easy, communication is not. Um, And you can find that article. Um, But again, I will email this out. And then if you can flip to the next slide. 
Um, we have several discussion questions that we want you to um, go over between this month and next month. So the, fir- the th- number three up there um, is a lot of questions related to how our parents, being raised by our parents, I see a typo, my fault, that was, yep, I typed that. How did being raised by your parents impact the way that you relate to marriage? How were decisions made? What was considered quality time? How has it shaped you? How do you bring it into marriage? And what do you want to let go of from your family of origin? And then that last one, um, we really want to hone in on what we learned from our family of origin related to conflict. Because, again, if we don't pay attention to what those patterns are, we will just repeat them rather than growing out of them. Okay, so let's pray to close. Father, thank you for this evening. Lord, thank you that you've given us the gift of communication. Father, that you allow us to grow in in listening, grow in in our speech and what we say. Father, help us to um, draw others out and really understand the bubbles that are under the surface um, to be able to dig deep um, and to get to the root of what... um, what is going to be healthy to be shared. Father, I ask that you would um, go with us as we leave here. Father, would you help us to understand uh, and remember that we're on the same team as spouses, Lord, that we desire um, good communication. Father, help us in our managing of conflict. And Lord, would you draw us closer together? Thank you for this evening. And we just ask for... um, Yeah, for continued depth in relationship with each other and with you, Lord. Um, Be with us as we go. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.